Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from rimfiretactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to episode 50, everybody. Let me just start off by saying, when this podcast first started, if you had told me that at this point in time, less than a year later, that there would be over 50 episodes, because uh, I'm counting this one, if you would have told me there would have been 50 episodes, um, if you would have told me that we would have had just some of the incredible numbers that we have in terms of uh, subscribers, downloads, uh, if you would have told me that we would have had any of these things at that time, I would absolutely have told you. Not only were you crazy, you were out of your mind. That in no way, shape, or form would that many people care to listen to somebody talk about rimfire rifles and rimfire handguns and anything like that. There is no way in the world that would have happened. But here we are, like I said, with episode 50, less than... Um, less than a year down the road, and man, you guys have just, you're crushing it. You're absolutely um, killing it with listening to these episodes, and I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for subscribing, for interacting, for everything. I mean, we're pushing 15,000 downloads at this point, which I realize compared to a lot of the podcasts that are out there, that number is nothing, but I can assure you, um, it's, it's a lot more than I anticipated. So I'm just, just want you guys to know, I'm so very grateful for that. Now, before we get into the subject of this week's episode, let's get a little housekeeping out of the way. All right. First and foremost, I want to ask. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not a member of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, I want to ask you, why not? Why aren't you there? Why aren't you there engaging and interacting with other like-minded Rimfire shooters from not just around the country, but from around the globe? We have members in from over 30 different countries. We have members in, of course, every single state in the U.S. And we've got members from every discipline. We have people in there that shoot bench rest. We have people who shoot rimfire challenge and steel challenge. Silhouette. People who shoot biathlon. People who shoot NRL 22. 22 ER, uh, ERL. (laughs) ELR. We've got people from every single discipline. So why aren't you there? So if you're not a member of the the group, just go on Facebook, type in Rimfire Tactical, and the way you'll know it's the right group is you're going to see that the group has, by the time you're uh, listening to this, the group will have over 9,000 members, and not only will it have 9,000 members or over 9,000, but you're also going to see a ton of content. Just to give you guys an idea, when we started 
this group uh, at this point, it's been about five years ago. When I started the group, the thought process at that time, it was simple. It was just to create a little, you know, a little safe space, if you will, a place where, you know, those of us that enjoy this type of shooting, we would be able to, and really not just this type of shooting, but this type of, um, of uh, guns, whether it's handguns or rifles, if you would have told me back then, hey, this is what's going to happen, I would have told you there is no way. Let me give you some stats real quick. Let me get logged in here. And let's see. Uh, Gosh. Okay, here we go. Just some, some idea. We have, uh, let's see. Yeah, look at this. So we're averaging over almost 30,000 posts a month at this point. Now, and, or I'm sorry, 30,000 uh, actions. And that's everything from, uh, that could be everything from people who like a picture or like a comment to people who make new comments, people who reply, different things like that. But there is a tremendous amount of activity that's taking place. So all I can say is if you're not a member of the group, get over there, check it out. Now, a little bit more housekeeping. You know, I do my best to get this content out uh, on a consistent basis, but those of you who have, have been subscribers for some time, you know that that does not always happen. There's times where there's a gap in between episodes, and sometimes that's because of uh, my travel schedule. Sometimes that's just because um, I didn't get it done. But what I would like to ask is that you subscribe so that you'll get notified when new episodes come out, and more importantly, that whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or any of the other hundred that are out there, give us a review. Give us a five-star review. Help other people who are looking for shooting podcasts, shooting-related, specifically ones that are rimfire-related, help those people find it. Because, you see, that's how iTunes and all the other services the way that they decide which ones to recommend and to promote to people who are doing searches, they do that based off reviews. So the more five-star reviews we have, the higher up the rankings list we will push. And that will make a huge difference in the, the eyes of uh, iTunes, Podbean, any of those others. So get those things done and you know let's let's make it happen um now the last thing i'd like to ask we are um, constantly working on new projects doing some different things and uh, we're going to be publishing quite a few of the uh, blogs that we've written uh recently we're we're doing a few website updates to uh, the back end of the website so we haven't been posting those as frequently, but there's going to be quite a few of those coming out. So what I'd like to ask is head on over to rimfiretactical.com 
there's a contact form when you first go to the website and we're not going to spam you. You're not going to get a bunch of emails from sponsors or anything like that because newsflash, we don't have sponsors. And, you know, we sort of had this thought when we created not only the group, but the website, the Facebook, uh, or I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, the podcast, all that stuff. The thought was sponsors would be awesome, but at the same time, we're not necessarily doing this because we're treating this like a business. This is just a hobby. It's a passion that we have. And so that's the reason why we give very real results whenever we're talking about ammo, optics, handguns, rifles. You know, if it's good, we'll tell you. If it's not, we'll tell you. But head on over, um, fill out the contact info. And again, this isn't something where someone's reaching out to you. It's just so you'll get updated as we work on uh, releasing new blogs, um, as well as uh, new podcast episodes and um, updates on the website as uh, things more things go live there. Now, we've covered all that good stuff. We've got the housekeeping out of the way. So let's get into the, the meat of the show. For those of you that are members of the Facebook group or you've listened to the podcast for any time, you know that I am a certified rimfire junkie in lots, <laughs> lots of different ways. Uh, it is a passion that I have. It's something I truly enjoy. And quite frankly, um, I'm always looking to not only get better with what I do, but I'm also looking for new opportunities as well. Traditionally, I have shot a lot of different types of matches and you know, using different disciplines, uh, everything from silhouette to um, NRL 22 and similar type matches, a lot of modified matches, um, not really a benchrest match, but not really like a, uh, what you would call a silhouette match, but kind of a, a blend of the two. Um, I've never shot an actual bench rest match. I owned a bench gun for some time. I've talked about it in previous episodes. Uh, I owned a, a great rifle. It shot tiny little groups. I just didn't really enjoy the format. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Um, I know lots of people who shoot it, lots of great guys. Some of the um, more disciplined shooters I've ever met, but like I said, just wasn't something I was really into. Well, I talked in the, the last episode about Steel Challenge. And the reason I was talking about that is because I'd learned about a local match that was happening in my uh, area. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you can go back and listen. Sorry about that. That's a little COVID cough there. I may have to take a break in a moment and get some COVID coffee. But, uh, you can listen to episode 49. You can hear all about uh, my first experience uh, going into a Rimfire Challenge or Steel Challenge match. Uh, this one was actually Steel Challenge because you know, a lot of people were shooting center fires. But um, you can hear all about it. My experience is there. Now, in the very beginning of that episode, I mentioned that I was at the range the evening before that match. And that's actually how I learned about the match is 
so a guy happened to be there and just, you know, was telling me about it. Well, what I didn't talk about is the reason I was at the range. Now, I know this is going to sound like it's blasphemy, like it's just the craziest thing for someone to ever say, but I'm not a huge fan of just going to the range uh, for the sake of going to the range. I don't like shooting paper, which is part of the reason that I, I'm sure I didn't uh, enjoy bench rest uh, as much as many people do, but I don't really enjoy just sitting around shooting groups. I like shooting uh, some sort of reactionary target, whether it's a spinner, uh, silhouettes, uh, a gong, something. Heck, even if it's shooting into a bank uh, like we will occasionally do when myself and some of my buddies are out at the range, uh, there's berms behind each of the the different uh, target stands at 100 and 200 and 300. And uh, quite honestly, a lot of times what we'll do is we might shoot a group or two on paper, but then after that, we're picking out rocks in the berms and we're shooting individual rocks or something like that. Um, call us overgrown kids. I'm not sure, whatever, but that's the case. So whenever I go to the range, specifically with the intent of you know shooting groups and everything like that, there's only a handful of reasons that that happens. Usually it's because I've either got a new rifle I've changed scopes, I've got a new lot of ammo, or something like that. But there's definitely going to be a specific reason for me to be there, not just to go and shoot groups. On this particular day, the reason I was there is because I had a new rifle. A new rifle that was announced at the beginning of the year. One that, frankly, has been talked about a lot, but... Uh, I think the original release date was supposed to be sometime in April, then it was May, then it was June, uh, then it was, I think some may have actually shipped in July, but I can tell you it was August before mine came in. And uh, anyway, long story short, I was able to get my hands on a Christensen Arms Ranger 22. Now, if you're not familiar with the rifle, let me tell you a few things about it, because I'm going to give you the nuts and bolts of everything that uh, I've experienced with the rifle so far, the pros, the cons. Um, you know, I'm going to fill you in on all the information. But specifically, if you're not familiar with Christensen Arms, one of the main things that they are known for is building um, really nice well, frankly, sometimes really expensive, but very nice um, centerfire rifles. They're mostly known for having carbon wrap barrels. Uh, their bolt actions follow a, a Remington Model 700 footprint, and um, the rifles have a pretty good reputation. There are some folks who uh, are huge fans. Like anything, there's some other people who are not. What I find happens with a lot of the people who are not fans, some of them have definitely had real experience. They've owned a rifle, they've shot a rifle, they've, they didn't see the performance they thought they should see. What I've also found is there are a lot of people out there 
who will absolutely dog something, just go on and on and on talking about it and putting it down anytime someone uh, mentions anything about it as if they have firsthand experience just to find out later on if you ask the question which model did you have a lot of those folks have never even owned one the same is true uh, christensen has some uh some ar variants as well and so what you know this is this is be just a side note but you know it's, it's a good tip if you're ever thinking about purchasing something it's great to have a resource like the rimfire tactical group you have a large number of shooters there a lot of people who are absolutely dedicated rimfire shooters who have a lot of experience with different models different manufacturers different ammo different scopes and so more than likely unless you happen to buy something and it is the first one out of the factory there's a good chance that someone there not only has touched it held it shot it uh, most likely somebody there has owned it and can tell you you know their experience something that we don't talk about a lot in the group is we have a large number of people from the industry that are members there they do a great job of not really uh announcing themselves when they join the group they don't go around saying hey uh just to let you know i'm here they don't uh brag or you know go on and on about their experiences uh, we have a lot of people who actually are very recognized in the industry as people who are known to be very fair with their testing and evaluation of different companies products so that's a great resource for you if you're thinking about making a new purchase in this particular case uh, there was a few people in the group that had these rifles but there hadn't been really a lot of conversation about them and really my biggest reason for wanting one of these was a it's new and i love new things i love cool things like that but really the other reason is i'm a hunter at heart as much as i love to go out and shoot in matches and i truly do i absolutely love it if i could pick the perfect saturday morning um you know activity i would tell you you know about 55 to 60 degrees a little foggy put me in the woods in the fall with a quality 22 rifle so i can squirrel hunt and that is the perfect morning for me and the christensen really kind of checked those a lot of those boxes off at least looking at the specs now to give you some background on the specs the christensen ranger 22 the rifle itself it looks like a scaled down version of uh, of a christensen bolt action the stock is really one of the things that stands out on it christensen i believe makes their own uh, or, or i'm sure somebody probably makes it for them but maybe it is christensen i'm not certain but their carbon fiber stocks are known for being very rigid and um, stiff while at the same time being very lightweight now they also are known uh, for being very comfortable to shoot their uh, they have a built-in palm swell uh, it's an ambidextrous stock so it, even though it's a right-handed rifle or action 
you know, if you happen to be a left-handed shooter, uh, you're not going to have, you know, some sort of a funky Monte Carlo cheat piece or something in the way. The rifle does come with um, sling studs so that you can, you know, put a sling on and hunt with it with no problem. And it does have a, a limb saver type recoil pad. Now, obviously with a 22 recoil is not an issue, but I can tell you as someone that's shot a bunch. And again, going back to my, one of my favorite things to do, which is squirrel hunting. There are several rifles that I have hunted with through the years that as great as they shot as, as pretty as they were as balanced as they were, they were not very much fun for me to hunt with because of a plastic butt plate, which would create this issue whenever you're trying to shoot where the stock was just sliding all over your shirt or your jacket or uh, vest or whatever. And on several of them, I've actually replaced the plastic butt plate with a rubber recoil pad just to get some grip so that I wouldn't end up dealing with, you know, the stock slipping all the time. Now, outside of the stock, which on the, this Ranger, it is a scaled down version of the, uh, the center fire stock. It's got a great textured feel to it. And, and like I said, it's very sturdy and rigid. The second thing that most people tend to notice on the, this rifle is that it has a carbon fiber barrel. Now the carbon fiber barrel, I love the look of it. I love the concept of it. Uh, I've heard so many people talk about there's not really a lot of benefits to it. Uh, some cases, um, the people who support them say it saves weight and it helps in cooling the barrel faster. Uh, people who don't care for it say it makes the rifle so much more expensive than it should be. And it really doesn't cool any faster. Uh, I'm not here to debate any of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> With stuff like that, it's been my experience. There's You can argue and argue and argue. And when it's all said and done, it's very much like politics and religion. Most people aren't changing their mind. Um, more than anything to me, I do appreciate lightweight in a hunting rifle. And more importantly, uh, <laughs> and, and I hesitate to say this is more importantly, but I will. Uh, frankly, I just like the look. I think it looks cool. And uh, in this day and age... You know, that's, that's part of it. Now, the nice thing about it, it's an 18 inch barrel. So it's a good length without being too short or too long. Uh, it is threaded. So the great thing about that is you can put a suppressor on, uh, and with most suppressors being, you know, four to six inches in length, uh, rimfire suppressors, that is, you know, even if you go with a six inch suppressor, you're still only looking at roughly 23 and a half to 24 inches of barrel suppressor included. So it's still not terribly long and going to get in the way, you know, when hunting. Now the barrel, something else talking about it is uh, it's supposed to have a bent chamber. And if you're not familiar with the different chambers uh, for rear fire rifles and 22s in particular, the bench chamber, um, not to get into a, a, you know, a rabbit hole of all the differences between the different chamber types, but essentially a bench chamber is, uh, it's sort of like a semi target chamber. 
it's not going to be as loose and open as um, a traditional, just standard SAMI type chamber, one that you could uh, shoot something like stingers through. But it's also not going to be uh, so tight that the bullet is actually engaging the lands whenever you close the bolt and prevent you from extracting a live round. Now, um, enough about that. Let's talk a little bit about the action. The action itself, it's, um, it's basically it's, it's a, an anodized aluminum um, action, uh, the, the receiver itself is. And it does come with a rail. Uh, it's got a Picatinny rail mounted. Um, a little bit about the bolt. The bolt is somewhat similar to a very slim down, scaled down um, Ruger 77-22 um, or Ruger American type bolt. Uh, it's a two-piece bolt. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a really nice way to say it, uh, calling it skinny, calling it scaled down. It's a little thing. And I mean, it's small. It actually reminds me almost, it, it's kind of like toy-like. Um, it does not exactly give you this, this big, robust feel. Um, the bolt handle itself um, has the same style of, uh, it has the same style bolt knob as you would see on the center fires. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, it does have a very uh, delicate or lightweight feel to it. Uh, frankly, my my first impression is if I were shooting this in an NRL 22 match or something where speed was an issue, I was a little concerned if I run this thing hard, is there a chance I could bend something? Now, I don't know that that would happen and uh, time will tell, I guess. Uh, I certainly don't abuse the rifles that I have, but You've heard me talk, if you've ever listened to a previous episode, especially if it's one where I'm talking about shooting in a match, uh, I run the bolt hard, I run it fast. Um, even if I'm shooting from a bench in you know one of the local matches here, my thought is if the wind is consistent, whether it's not blowing at all or if it's just consistently at 5 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, if I can get 10 rounds down range in consistent wind, I'll take that versus firing a shot, waiting, Suddenly, you know, now I have wind when I didn't before. Um, you know, maybe the wind went from two miles an hour to suddenly it's 15 miles an hour. Maybe it's switching right to left, different things like that. Uh, I, I shoot with uh, different competitors that they may take as much as 30 seconds to a minute between shots. Meanwhile, uh, I've actually shot an entire bank of 10 silhouettes. Um, I think the, I had someone time me one time, uh, they were timing me. I just didn't realize it, but he commented that he had seen me shooting really fast in the past. And so he was just curious how fast I was shooting. And it just so happened, uh, I cleaned 10 of the chicken silhouettes, 80 yards, which is what we shoot in one of my ma uh, local matches. I shot, um, all 10 in, uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, I think it was 38 seconds or 39 seconds, something like that. So I'm doing that with a Voodoo, which has a big, beefy bolt. Uh, bolt. So like I said, 
I'm not 100% sure on this one uh, yet. Um, haven't really got to run it hard yet, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But, uh, you know, just to kind of complete the information, though, about the action, like I said, it does come with a zero MOA uh, rail. Uh, I prefer 20 or 25, and I'm sure at some point somebody's going to have those available, but right now, no one does. Um, the rifle does come with a trigger tech trigger. Now, I, something else, if you've ever seen me post in the Facebook group or writing a blog posts, or if you've ever listened to a previous episode, you've heard me say, I love the trigger tech triggers. To be specific, I love the trigger tech diamond triggers. Uh, this is the trigger tech, I believe it's the fields uh, trigger. And, um, you know, it's got a very clean break, but it is definitely much heavier than what I'm accustomed to. Best I can tell, uh, this thing, and I don't have a trigger pull gauge, but my guess is uh, I had this thing as light as it will go, and best I can tell, it's around two and a half pounds, maybe a little bit heavier than that. Like I said, it's clean. There's no real creep or anything like that. It breaks very uh, crisply. Um, is that a word? Crispy? Crispily? But uh, it's still, it's heavy, especially for a lightweight rifle. Um, to wrap up there, everything on the action, though, it accepts Ruger 1022 magazines. Now, that was a, the part that I found really interesting when this rifle was announced because at the SHOT Show in January, all of the talk around Precision 22s this year was all the different actions that were being introduced to the market that were... Uh, I don't want to call them clones or copies, but they were very, 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 very similar in design to the Voodoo Gunworks V22 action. They were model 700 footprint actions that would fit into any Remington stocker chassis, or I'm sorry, any, any stocker chassis designed for a Remington model 700 short action. They would also take uh, any trigger for a Remington model 700 they also uh, were based off of um, being able to accept magazines that were uh, short action AICS design, just like the Voodoo. A um, couple that come to mind, the, the uh, Zermatt Arms Remex, and the, uh, although this thing still hasn't been produced yet, or, or released, I guess, uh, Curtis announced their, or, or no, it's not Curtis. It's uh, it's Ultimatum. The Ultimatum uh, action that um, I think they call it the Deuce, which the one thing that is different about that than the Voodoo, um, it uses a 60-degree bolt throw, more like a Tika, versus the uh, the 90-degree on the, the Remex and the Voodoo. But with this Christensen, they brought it out with everything set up for it to be able to use Ruger 10-22 or 77-22 magazines. And for those of us that have, you know, a few of those at the house, that's always a bonus when you can buy a new rifle that will use magazines you already have. So the, the lightweight and uh, the 77 uh, or, or 1022 magazines, those were really both just, that's like the icing on the cake for this rifle for me. 
So once I found out they were starting to ship, I uh, had feelers out everywhere. Um, actually got an email from one site that said, hey, this thing is in stock. And I literally was sitting at my desk when the email came in, probably five to 10 minutes after uh, the email came in, if I remember correctly. I saw it, clicked the link, went to the Davidson's website where they said it was in stock. Um, and at the time I clicked over, I can't tell you for sure that it was still in stock, but I can tell you as soon as I tried to order it, it was out of stock. So, you know, from the time that it showed up in my, my inbox until their website said it was out of stock less than 10 minutes. But at that point I knew they were shipping. I was starting to see a few reports in some different places. So I started searching really hard and thankfully found one um, through Sportsman's Warehouse and actually learned on a side note, actually learned that there's a Sportsman's Warehouse only about an hour and a half away from me, which I didn't even know was there, but uh, ordered the rifle. It When I ordered the rifle, I said it would take about 10 days for it to come in. I thought, no big deal. And sure enough, uh, it did come in exactly 10 days later. So the initial thoughts upon picking the rifle up, the bolt, uh, it's smooth. While uh, not buttery smooth, it is fairly smooth. Uh, more so than I had been led to believe from a lot of uh, people talking about it who had looked at this, the sample rifle that was at the SHOT Show. Um, the bolt lift is it's not terribly difficult at all. Um, it's not terribly hard to, you know, chamber around. And when you're running the bolt, uh, I didn't really experience any extraction issues, which I know a lot of people have talked about all in all, um, you know, there's a little bit of effort involved when opening and closing, but not bad. And certainly not anything that would, uh, you know, keep me from owning the rifle. So I thought it felt really good. Uh, it comes to the shoulder very well. And while it weighs 5.1 pounds um, without a scope, um, even fully scoped, it's a very lightweight rifle. Um, the only thing that I hadn't read anything at all about, so I was a little surprised when I got the rifle, is the trigger guard. The trigger guard is actually made of polymer. And I know that's you know done from time to time now, but uh, it sort of surprised me more so, I think, because of the price point than anything else. Um, this rifle isn't terribly expensive given where we are with rimfire rifles these days, but it does have an MSRP of $7.99 and it's coming from a manufacturer of, you know, higher end rifles. Now, I feel certain at some point um, somebody out there is going to offer and I'm guessing it would be a company like DIP. Uh, DI products, um, they'll probably offer a replacement trigger guard, but uh, at this point in time, there isn't any other option out there. Um, now, the interesting thing about the way that the trigger guard is set up is it's big. Uh, there's plenty of room to be able to get in there and um, you know get to the trigger, but you know it. It's the only part that I would say cheapens what is otherwise a really nice package. Now, 
while trying to figure out what scope I wanted to put on this, I'm always have been a fan of the uh, all the different options out there for more of the tactical scopes. I like uh, big objectives. I like tons of travel. But in this particular case, this rifle isn't going to get used for uh, very many matches or anything. Um, but there's always the possibility of NRL 22 or something like that. So when looking around, um, I needed something that I could put on it that would not be terribly heavy because it doesn't make sense to put a, a scope that's nearly two pounds or more on top of a rifle that weighs five pounds. You're going to make that, that rifle so top heavy, it's never going to balance well. And frankly, it's going to take a lot of fun out of trying to, to shoot it. The other thing is the stock is not set up with an adjustable cheek piece. So if you go with a really high objective, you know, maybe a or large objective, maybe a 50 or 56 millimeter objective, in order to get the, uh, the clearance that you need, you're going to have that scope mounted fairly high. And uh, I just didn't see a reason to, to do something like that because then in order for me to get a good cheek weld and be able to see through the scope well, 100% I was going to have to go ahead and not only put some sort of a, either, either basically drill the stock uh, and put some sort of a, like a Karsten style polymer cheek piece, or I would have to put a, at least a stock pack on or something like that. And frankly, I just, that just seems to me like that's additional weight that isn't needed. So I looked around at what I had and ended up pulling a scope off of a different rifle. I went with a Leupold Mark AR. It's the uh, 6 to 18, and uh, it's 40 millimeter with an adjustable objective. This is a, a mill mill scope, so it does have a mill reticle and does have mill adjustments. And I think this one's actually, I believe if I remember correctly, the, the I think there's, it's got some markings on it about, you know, probably a 55 grain 223, if I were to guess. But ultimately, um, the, the scope is clear and it has been very dependable on the different rifles I've had it on. Um, it dials well and I, I just don't have issues with it. And Frankly, it just, it fit the rifle really well. It's a good size. It's a good weight. And it, it's a very nice looking package. Going to the range. Something I've always talked a lot about is being prepared when I get to the range. So I go through a lot of detail as far as not only getting everything, um, you know, together, making sure I've got everything there that I need. But here's the most important thing. I also make sure when I go, if I can, if I've got magazines, uh, you know, a lot of magazines for whatever rifle or handgun I'm shooting, I am loading all those things up. In this particular case, uh, I didn't do that. I didn't do it because I wasn't sure. I knew I was going to test some different ammo in it, but I loaded up a handful of magazines with an old lot of SK standard that I have. Uh, it's been a very dependable and a reliable lot. And it has, it hasn't let me down no matter what I've done with it. It has consistently, um, shot well in just about every rifle I've ever tried it in. 
Um, I had, can't think of a rifle that I have ever tested with it that you know didn't shoot it well. And um, well, there's been a couple, but what I can tell you about those is the ones that that didn't shoot it well. I never did find ammo that that shot well in them. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But I loaded up some magazines um, and you know, really just was looking to to see what would happen. The very first impression I had when putting the magazine in, very first thing, and I wish this wasn't the case, was I loaded the magazine in the rifle, it popped in, it was great, no problems at all. However, as soon as I get the um, magazine in and I go to close the bolt, it's just, it's, it's a clunky feel and I can't quite describe it. Um, it's not smooth per se. Um, it just doesn't seem to, to feed well consistently. It started off that I could run a magazine or two and very rarely have any sort of, of hiccups, but throughout the day, the feeding got worse and worse. And originally I thought, hey, maybe this has something to do with the factory magazine, but I've got a bunch of 1022 magazines, like over 20 of them. And I had them all with me that day. So I ended up trying every single magazine. And what I learned is that no specific magazine that I own, not a single one could I consistently run 10 rounds time after time after time without having an issue. And the issue that I was having, it seemed like the front of the magazine is dropping down just a fraction of an inch. I mean, I'm talking, I don't even think it's an eighth of an inch, but it's dropping just enough so that when the bolt catches the rim going forward, instead of driving it up into the chamber, it's actually driving it into the front of the action. Now, the other thing that I ran into issues with is occasionally some of the magazines themselves seem to sit a little low so that the bolt would actually run right over top of the rim and never catch it. So instead of even chambering around or attempting to chamber around, you'd have an issue uh, with it just not catching it at all. Now, I did find that if I pushed up on the magazine, like if I held the rifle with my left hand, took my, my ring finger and my middle finger and pushed up against the bottom of the magazines, I found that the rifle would chamber around every single time. The next issue that I ran into though with the rifle is that um, it, you could feel some friction whenever you're closing the bolt on a live round. So I started extracting some of these. And what I found is that when you extract it, sure enough, it has an issue where it's, uh, it's scraping or scratching the round. And uh, I took some pictures. Uh, there's a full review of this on a few websites and also in the Facebook group. But basically, if, you're, if you think of the, the bands that are wrapped around or that uh, go around a 22 um, bullet, it creates a flat spot. And I'm not sure if that flat spot is coming from 
the bullet hitting the top of the chamber or if it's dragging on the front of the magazine uh, or, or the bottom of the chamber. I'm really not sure. Uh, I didn't think about that when I was going through everything. But ultimately, um, you know, it just did not seem to be consistent in feeding no matter what I did to it. Now, I also had some instances where even though it's supposed to have dual extractors, I had a couple of instances where it did not pull the round completely out and sort of the round sort of would get hung on the extractor. And I even had one instance where it pulled the fired case out of the chamber and then it's almost like it released it to lay right on top of the magazine. Um, you know, it's, it's strange because it's just funky little things that happen there. Now to give you an idea on the performance, like I said, the biggest challenge that I faced outside of the feeding and everything. Um, and I did have some issues. One, one last thing uh, there on some of the issues that we ran into, it's almost like the, the bolt would push forward on the rim and, and get a round started. But then it's almost like the magazine would shift. The bullet would, um, the rim of the, of the round would drop down into the magazine, bringing the, the bullet itself up at almost like a, about one o'clock, maybe two o'clock. Um, and then as the bolt would continue to go forward, the bolt would hit the case about mid body. And then if you were trying to run the bolt hard and you didn't realize what had happened, of course, you've wasted that, that round because you've crimped the case to the point where uh, it has a, a crimp and it wouldn't fit in the chamber anyway. Um, but that's, you know, just, those are some examples of it. Outside of the feeding issues, you know, like I said before, in talking about the trigger, the trigger is crisp. Uh, I, like I said, I have it on the, the absolute lightest setting that I can get it on, but it's still really heavy for what I'm used to. And a lot of that is, frankly, I'm used to, I'm used to on-shoots triggers. I'm used to the Trigger Tech Diamond and the diamond on my voodoos, I mean, those diamonds on all three of them are down into the ounces, you know, probably in the, the four to six, maybe eight ounce range. So there's a big, big difference between shooting a trigger like that and shooting a trigger that's pushing two, uh, at least two and a half pounds, if not more. But with all that being said, uh, I did shoot it from the bench, uh, shot it on paper quite a bit. And when I was shooting it, uh, I was using a rear bag and I had a Harris bipod on the front. Um, if you've heard me talk much about it, I'm not the biggest fan of Harris bipods. Uh, I think they are fine for what they used to be, uh, you know, like the only option. But I think there's lots of better options out there. But in reality, short of, you know, if I can get the feeding issues worked out with this thing and maybe shoot it in an NRL match or something, this is going to be a hunting rifle more than anything. So it won't. It won't wear a bipod very often at all. To give you an idea on the performance, Christensen rifles, according to a lot of so-called internet experts, um, you know, some of the people that I mentioned before, some of them have owned rifles, and so they're speaking from experience. A lot of the people I think that talk about Christensen rifles have never owned one. They've just heard other people talk about them not being accurate. So because they said they weren't accurate, 
you know, then suddenly, boom, you know, these people say they're not accurate. What I can tell you is that Christensen, um, they, they make some claims on accuracy. Um, if I remember correctly, I think that they claim that the rifle is uh, supposed to be sub MOA at 50 yards. And, you know, for those of you that are trying to do the math, you know, basically uh, MOA at 50 yards is, well, we're going to round a little bit. Uh, instead of actual MOA of 1.0647, I think that's what it's called, or what it is, uh, we're just going to call one inch at 100, and so that would make half inch group at 50 yards. Um, that would be MOA, and they're saying sub MOA, so you know the groups should be at least uh, smaller than a half inch for a five shot group at 50 yards, smaller than one inch for a five shot group at 100 yards. In actuality, from my experience, and I did not end up testing a lot of ammo like I thought I would that day because I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the feeding issues. And really, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to fix those and kind of document them. Um, but what I can tell you is that shooting the older lot of um, SK Standard and then I also shot some SK rifle match because at this point I'm I'm trying to use up a lot of the older lots that I have. Um, the rifle did fairly well. Uh, I had a number of groups that were shot. I didn't necessarily cherry pick the smallest ones, but I, um, the ones that uh, I, I shared the most, um, I had a 10 shot group and really this is more of just my thing i'd rather shoot an entire magazine instead of doing five shots but i shot a 10 shot group at 100 yards um the group itself measured 1.06 inches so it's just over uh one moa um you know what really stinks about it is if you take three shots out of that group. If you get those three out of there, that group that's uh, just a little bit over one MOA would drop to about three quarters MOA and actually probably a little bit closer to half inch. Um, but I had two that flew high left and, uh, and then I had one that flew uh, low and left. And, and part of that was the wind uh, that's what was taking me a little bit left, but like I said, really it was two rounds that flew a little high and one that flew low. A lot of that could be attributed to the ammo. Um, it could be contributed or, you know, you could also say, you know, there was some inconsistency in my holds. Maybe I shifted just a little bit or something like that. Um, for some groups at 50, uh, I shot a five shot group, uh, that was, uh, 0.45 inches so you know it's nice little <laughs> it's it's a nice little semicircle uh it's kind of odd but uh, that ended up being uh, 0.86 moa so that is by all means you know less than moa at 50 yards and then i shot a uh, 10 shot group at 50 yards that measured right at a half inch or 0.96 moa so all in all um you know, the group it's the the groups the rifle produced 
were absolutely acceptable. Now, not every group was that tight. Uh, occasionally, I'd have some flyers that were totally unexplainable. Um, and, and really, one of the things that I noticed as well, and I only had this happen, I think, twice. But if I had let the rifle sit for some time, when I would come back, the first magazine that I would shoot would be a larger group, kind of erratic. The second magazine, the groups would tighten right back up. But instead of like a cold shot flyer, it's almost like I get a cold shot magazine. But I only had that happen twice. But it definitely, you know, kind of made me sit there and scratch my head and be like, what in the world is happening here? So, you know, ultimately, um, I had several people ask me, you know, so, you know, basically, what do you think? I mean, is it, it sounds like it's terrible. I'm not going to write this rifle off at all. Um, I will give Christian some credit. I called them from the range. Um, explained the issue that I was having, and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I can do something with adjusting the trigger height or the magazine height by working with the um, the uh, torque screw or you know what I was torquing the screws, the action screws to. And so they told me that they recommend 35 pounds, so I made sure it was there. Uh, I did not spend a whole lot of time trying to tighten it more, but I do feel like uh, because the polymer trigger guard also has the magazine uh, release and everything, that's what's holding the magazines. It's not, you know, actually in the stock itself. It's it's being held by that polymer trigger guard. I feel like if they can get those kinks worked out, um, that's the only real negative to this rifle. Uh, would I like a heavier, beefier bolt? Sure, I would. But you know, whenever you're building a rifle for a certain discipline or you're going for something specific there's going to be some trade-offs in this particular case you know christensen was going with an aluminum receiver and a scaled down bolt primarily because they're looking for a lightweight hunting rifle so i get it and frankly i can live with it um it's it's not uh, definitely not nearly as smooth as a lot of the others that are out there it's not the worst I've felt either. And the only real negative to this rifle has been the inconsistent feeding. Once um, this thing makes a trip back to Christensen, because at this point, I think that's what's going to happen. I've tried to do lots of different things, tried to figure out some different uh, things that I can do. Uh, originally, I thought about trying to put some sort of a little shim or something at the rear of the magwell so that it would almost tilt the front of the magazine up and uh, you know almost like a little bit of a wedge but ultimately uh, due to the design I really can't see a way to make that happen so um, more than likely the rifle is going to have to make a trip back to Christensen and get the, the kinks worked out but ultimately once they fix this issue I think it's going to be an outstanding rifle I think it's going to be fantastic not just as a hunting rifle but I think it will be um, it could be a really good option for a lightweight rifle for NRL 22 or something like that. Uh, especially if you have someone that is maybe not able to handle the weight of a lot of the rifles that are common in, uh, NRL 22. I mean, even forget about your customs, your, 
um, the Voodoo's or Remex or something like that. Uh, even a CZ 457 weighs a lot more than this rifle does. Um, so for someone that maybe has a little, uh, some issues with some upper body strength, I think it could be a neat little rifle for that. I will tell you getting in and out of obstacles, like shooting through ladders and things like that, the short 18 inch barrel, and then being ultra lightweight, I think it could absolutely, uh, handle that with ease. Um, I did fire a couple of groups out at 200 and I was very happy to see that the, the loophole, even with the zero MOA rail, the loophole has enough travel for me to dial out to 200 yards. Uh, I didn't go past 200, but I had plenty of, uh, or I had you know enough elevation to be able to dial out there. When I was shooting groups at 200 yards, um, can't say that they were that impressive, but a lot of that was partial. Part of that was due to the wind had really picked up. That was near the end of the session, um, and you know, like I said, that ammo. Um, I, I've typically used it to test rifles at 50 and 100 more so than I have longer, but I feel like, um, this rifle with ammunition that it likes is absolutely capable of sub MOA. And, um, frankly, it's just a matter of finding the right ammo that, uh, would shoot at, at longer distances. So, you know, there you go. There's my, uh, thoughts on the Christensen, uh, like I said, I like it a lot. Can't wait to to get it uh, fixed, if you will, so that I can get this thing out and run it quite a bit and give you uh, a more detailed report down the road after I've got a chance to put more than just a few hundred rounds through it. But uh, anyway, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this. Head on over to uh, our sponsor, GetAccuratePayments.com. Head on over to their website if you're someone in the industry or, or a business owner. If you're someone that's trying to find ways to take payments from your customers, uh, getaccuratepayments.com is a Second Amendment friendly uh, company that does credit card processing. They offer point of sale solutions. They integrate with all the popular shopping carts for e-commerce from WooCommerce to uh, BigCommerce, 3D Cart, and so many others. If you're looking for a way to lower your processing fees, get a better customer service experience, and not have to worry about someone closing your account because they realize you're in the gun industry, check out getaccuratepayments.com. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Hope you all have a great one. Go out, have some fun, go shoot something. And remember, it's not just a 22, it's Rimfire Tactical. Cheers. <laughs>